chance. Yenmark down the middle, scores! Matias Yenmark, short-handed goal. From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at lvsportsnetwork.com. Puck comes out high. Watt gets the puck off to the races. Into the zone. The righty. Right circle. Backhander. He scores! What a move! Nicholas Watt gets the Knights back in the lead. This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Your destination for inside access with the team. Exclusive player interviews and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Welcome in Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Wallace broadcasting live, Parkway Tavern on Mark Street down in Henderson. Get down here. We've got a jersey giveaway to sign everybody up for, so you're going to want to come see me. Put your name in the hopper, and we'll be doing that a little bit later on. I'll be here for the Insider Show as well as pregame, intermission, and postgame. I'm here all night long and looking forward to a big time game between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Vancouver Canucks. Chris Chapman, he's back inside the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios. Finley Chevrolet on the 215. Home of the Oh, it's a big day. It's a big day for the Vegas Golden Knights. It's a big day for Vegas in terms of their playoff chase. There's a lot on the line, a lot at stake today. We're going to get Jesse Granger on the line here in just a few minutes as we go through what this three-game road trip means for the Vegas Golden Knights, what's at stake, as well as who may be in the lineup tonight for Vegas. Uh, Mark Stone, based on... A tweet you had to decode. So the Vegas Golden Knights Twitter, they put out a cryptic message about whether or not Mark Stone would be in the lineup. We'll get to Jesse. We'll get to that. Uh, We'll also tackle this three-game road trip. The ability for the Golden Knights to make a statement for likely the two teams that they would play in the first two rounds of the playoffs should they get there. So that's going to be massive. We've got one-timers, legal minute with Sam and Ash. That's coming up at 445. But without any further ado, let's bring in Jesse Granger with The Athletic. Hey, Jesse, how you doing? Good. How are you? Um, Okay, so I'm good. Uh, Where were you when you had to... You know, kind of go back into your Rolodex, start to lean on your Sherlock Holmes obsession from from your childhood and to figure out that Mark Stone uh, is back for the Vegas Golden Knights and has been activated off of IR. (laughs) Yeah, I've been I've been refreshing the media website, waiting for uh, either some players to be added to LTIR or to be taken off LTIR. And it looks like just now they have placed William Carrier, Nolan Patrick, and Loren Brassois all on the LTIR, which creates enough room to activate Mark Stone off LTIR and make room for him to play tonight in Vancouver. So let's start there. Obviously, the expectation, you're not going to go through all this, you're not going to do this unless Mark Stone's playing tonight. So I think we can fairly easily pencil him in for the Vegas Golden Knights tonight. How much does that improve their chances in your estimation down these final nine games to get themselves into a playoff spot? Um, a lot. Uh, <laughs> I think I said it on the pregame a couple games ago. I think Max Pacioretty is a nice add to get back. I thought Alec Martinez was, was, was big. Braden McNabb was another big piece. But to me, Mark Stone is the singular piece that makes this team a contender. Um, now, it's going to depend on what Mark Stone they get. I mean, it's, it, Mark Stone has... 
come back from this back injury several times this season, and he's never been out this much. So the hope there is that this time they finally let it heal all the way. But, I mean, he's come back from this several times and still not looked himself and had to leave shortly after. So um, dependent on how Mark Stone looks, I think if they get even close to a full-strength Mark Stone with what we've seen from Jack Eichel and Jonathan Marsh so during his absence um, and what the defense and what the goaltending has been doing lately, I think this has the chance to turn the Golden Knights into instantly into the contender that they were expected to be. Now we'll see how it all works with the meshing. Um, Mark Stone's such a smart player, I don't think he's going to have a hard time getting chemistry with whoever he's on the ice with. So that's my that's my follow up question. Like, even if Mark Stone's not a hundred percent, let's say he's eighty eighty five percent somewhere in that ballpark. My argument is always that that Mark Stone's greatest asset as a hockey player is his brain, how he thinks the game, and if that's operating at a hundred percent, there are plays that he makes, especially in the neutral zone, that not many other players are going to make. So if he's processing the game at the same level. Even Mark Stone at 80 or 85% is better than the other options you have available to you. Absolutely. And, and it looks like, based on the practice lines yesterday, it looks like he's going to slot into that third line with his uh, very familiar line mates, Chandler Stevenson and Max Pacioretty. Yeah. But he is, he is going to be on that top power play unit with Jack Eichel, and I think at some point over the next nine games we may see him with Jack Eichel. Um, I'm so pumped to see that, <laughs> even if it's just on the power play. Watching Jack Eichel play these last whatever it is that he since he's, since he's been activated, the thing that stands out to me so much is how patient he is with the puck. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. a lot of players, you, you, when the puck is on your stick, there's an anxiety that comes with that. There's an anxiety of, okay, I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to lose it. And most of the time that turns into a pass. Um, whether there's a pass there or not, you, you feel the need to ch- just either chip it up the boards or whatever. Eichel, because he's so confident when he has the puck that no one can take it off of him, he, he has a patience on the puck that I haven't seen from any player on the Golden Knights. And, and he holds that puck until he finds the right pass. And to me, a player like Mark Stone that you mentioned, his brain is his biggest weapon. He understands where the play is going. He understands where the defensive coverage is. He understands where the soft spots are. You get the puck on the stick of Jack Eichel. He knows how to hold it to wait for that right pass. And I think Mark Stone is, is built, his game is built to find, to give Eichel the right pass. I think those two are going to be incredible to watch together, even if it's just on the power play. So how quickly do you think we might see Mark Stone, Jack Eichel on the same line five on five? Um, I mean, it, it, to be honest, it, it totally depends on how these things go. Um, I think Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, like I asked Max Pacioretty after the game the other night, he played on the third line with Stevenson and they scored. And I asked him, like, how much do you like that matchup? You guys are going against third line players. That's not normally the case with you and Chandler. And, and I thought Pacioretty's answer was interesting. He said, you know what, on paper that it sounds good, but to be honest, third lines are out there to defend and they're built to defend. And sometimes those lines can be harder to score on than the top guys because they're not pushing forward the way the top lines are. And, and, what I took out of that answer is Max Pacioretty is thrilled to be back. He's, he's fine with being eased back into it. But third line is not somewhere that he <laughs> sees himself playing regularly. And I would guess that Mark Stone probably feels similarly. Um, I think it's nice to not give him 20 minutes right out of the gate when he's coming back from this huge layoff. So I think it's nice that you can ease them in on the third line. But I think at some point they're going to want to move up. It's going to be 
up to Pete DeBoer whether he wants to keep this depth spread the way it is because they really do have three dangerous lines right now with Eichel and Dodonov and Walk clicking on the top line. Marshall and Carlson and Amadio's been a nice fit there. And then obviously you've got your former top line playing third playing in the third spot right now. So it's going to be up to the board. Do I want to stack a top line with three elite NHL players, or do I want to kind of play the, the three-line rotation game? Well, what's interesting about that is when you, when you put together Max Pacioretty, Chandler Stevenson, and Mark Stone, especially with Riley Smith out of the lineup, that's your best defensive forward unit that you can put out on the ice in any given situation, unless you're going to kind of tinker with what's left of the misfits with Michael Amadio, unless you're going to, say, pair up William Carlson and Matthias Janmark as kind of a shutdown line. I think that, you know, the, the reasoning you go with with Pacioretty, Stevenson, and Stone perhaps as your third line is as much to free up Jack Eichel to not have to worry about playing defense because – for right now, the Golden Knights, their offense, it runs through whether or not Jack Eichel can single-handedly go out there and make plays. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I think no matter what you do right now, that's their best defensive line. Um, we watched that line shut down the, the super line in Colorado in the playoffs. And yeah. obviously Mark Stone is a huge part of that. But Chandler Stevenson and his speed and his ability to pressure um, with that speed is a huge part of it. I think that line, and Pacioretty, I think, has, has his defensive game has grown a lot here in Vegas. I think that's underrated part of his game, too. So, yeah, I completely agree. That is, that's absolutely a shutdown line. And if you can, if you can use it in that way, and, and obviously they're going to score, they're going to get their chances because even if you're out there to shut guys down, Mark Stone is going to intercept passes in the neutral zone, and he's going to make the pass to Chandler Stevenson, and his speed on, when, when you transition that quickly is dangerous. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like everything you said right there i like it you can use that as a shutdown line it kind of like you said i think it frees up eichel a little bit and 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 they're still going to score jesse granger with the athletic joining us here to talk about the newest information when it comes to the vegas golden knights and that is mark stone activated off of ltir will carrier nolan patrick and loren brossois have been placed on ltir with that move the golden knights are able to free up enough money to activate captain mark stone who we expect to play tonight chris chapman you want to jump in here yeah um you know i've been thinking a lot and you guys both kind of mentioned riley smith and it looks like if this team is going to make the playoffs they're going to do it without the services of riley smith who he's only played 56 games and when you compare that to a full season that's the lowest amount of games that he will have played since he became a regular in the NHL. I'm just wondering if there's a player who maybe has been a bigger loser right now at this particular moment than Riley Smith because they moved to, they they attempted to move to Donoff. Obviously, that didn't work. He's been on fire since that, well, non-trade. But Riley being in a contract year, so it, it, it maybe I'm looking at it wrong, but it looks like maybe he's going to be the odd man out. Am, am I kind of looking at this the wrong way? Um, I don't think so at all. I mean, it, it, it obviously depends on his, like, could, it's injuries are such a gray area, right? Because these hockey players are warriors that play through <laughs> crazy things. And, and like, it, it just comes down to was Riley Smith going to be able to play through whatever he, like, clearly now he's, it's, it's almost impossible. And without making a trade after the deadline, which is still possible, but seems unlikely, it's pretty much impossible to fit Riley Smith in if he were to get healthy. So, He's a loser if he was going to be healthy and is now in a predicament where you're not going to be able to play through that injury because of the LTIR situation. But I agree with you that 
I mean, especially if the Golden Knights don't make the playoffs, his last chance at adding to the payday that he's going to get, because I think he's had a really good season. I think he's going to get paid in the offseason as USA, but his last moments to kind of increase that payday or cement that payday um, are out the window. So, Jesse, when you when you factor in what the Golden Knights might be rolling out tonight and how things might tweak over the final nine games, I think it's the, the perfect opportunity for the Golden Knights to, to utilize this three-game road trip as a way to make a statement. One, you're playing a Vancouver Canucks team tonight that you, that you, you, know, you did not play well against uh, last week when they came to T-Mobile Arena, and you could have really put a damper on their hopes to make the playoffs. You have another opportunity to do that here tonight, and then you've got Calgary and Edmonton, and I'm, I'm going to kind of get there first and then work our way back uh, from, from there. With this road trip, if the Golden Knights play well, if they go into Calgary, they go into Edmonton, they start planting those seeds of doubt, uh, how much How much do you think that that kind of gets into the head of the two opponents that the Golden Knights, if things go well down the stretch and they get themselves into the playoffs, those would be the, the, the way for Vegas to kind of get through the first couple of rounds against either Edmonton or Calgary? Yeah, I think you're totally right. And I think it's kind of interesting because I think it's, important for both the Edmonton and the Calgary game, but I think it's actually important for a different team in each game. I'll explain. <laughs> so in, uh, let's start with Calgary because we'll work our way back. Yeah. Against Calgary, I think it's more important for the Golden Knights mentally to have a good game. They don't need to win. They have to play with the Flames. These teams have a tendency of blowing each other off the ice on their own home ice, and the Golden Knights have had a lot of, of just horrible games up in Calgary. Yeah. Um, I can't think of a building that would give them nightmares more than the Saddledome just based on how they've played in that building. So I think in that game, it's very important for Vegas's mentality to win, and if not win, play a really good competitive game to where if you do have to go up there in the playoffs, because if they play Calgary, it's gonna, the series is going to start in Calgary, and you're going you're gonna to need to win one of those two games. And I think if you're coming off of back-to-back blowout losses up there because they got mopped on the ice the last time they were up there, it can hurt you mentally. I think a good game is important for the Golden Knights for if that matchup were to happen down the road. Now, the game before that in Edmonton, I think it's much more important for the Oilers. Um, one, I think the Oilers haven't had the playoff success that the Golden Knights have had. I think there is some, some uncertainty in their own minds about their ability to perform in the playoffs because, I mean, the last two postseasons, this team, they got swept by an under-talented Winnipeg team last year. Yeah. And the season before that, they got beat by a Chicago Blackhawks team that I have no problem saying is the worst team to ever play in the playoffs in the history of organized sports that's the oilers immediate playoff history when they think about it so if you're the oilers and you're gonna have to play the golden knights in the first round it's a a win in this game is big for the oilers so so i agree with you i think there are mental games going on with both of those but i think it's it's more important for vegas in the calgary game and i think it's more important for the oilers in that you know i i don't disagree with you there i i i I think you're you're absolutely right. Like for the Golden Knights to go into Calgary and have a big time game, it's not unlike what Vegas had to do last year uh, with the Minnesota Wild. Like you had to find a way to beat Minnesota in Minnesota, a building you never win in, and the Golden Knights were able to get the best of that series. So it, it's it's a similar situation should you get to Calgary, but 
the most likely opponent, I think, for the Vegas Golden Knights should they make the playoffs, and the most likely path that I see is overtaking the Los Angeles Kings for third spot in the Pacific Division, and that sets up a massive, massive series against the Edmonton Oilers. And I don't think that that series scares me if I'm Vegas because if you shut down Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, something the Golden Knights have historically been able to do, I don't think there's anything else that should worry the Golden Knights about the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And, I, and, and you know me, goaltending, I always go back to it. And in the playoffs, it really becomes important. And Robin Leonard on one side, Mike Smith on the other, I'm taking Robin Leonard every single time. All right, Jesse. You know, a lot of times we, we hear teams kind of limp into the playoffs, they back into the playoffs, but... If Vegas does make the playoffs, it's going to be just the opposite. This team's going to be playing their very best hockey of the year heading into the playoffs. Do you think a bunch of teams are sitting around saying, oh my gosh, we got to do whatever we can to make sure that this team does not make the playoffs because either these are the guys we do not want to see in that first round? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, and I've been saying this for a couple weeks now because we've kind of known that the Golden Knights are in this situation where if they're going to make the playoffs, it's going to take 10 wins in 12 games or whatever it ends up being. It's going to, you're going to be on a hot streak. And not only that, but they're going to be healthier than they've ever been. We, we spent the first half talking about all these players that have been put on LTIR, but at the same time, I think at least some of those players are going to be back if they were to make the playoffs. So you're getting your stars back. You're going to get a few, if not all, of your depth pieces back. And you're playing hockey well at the right time of year. I think this absolutely sets up for... Um, if uh, if the Golden Knights sneak in the playoffs, they are the one team that absolutely nobody in the West wants any piece of. All right, and, and that leads me to my next question, because if we look at the history of Pete DeBoer, he's taken two teams to the Stanley Cup final. The first time it was with the Devils, and they were a sixth seed. And then I think when he took San Jose to the Stanley Cup final, they were a pretty low seed as well. So does it kind of give Pete a little bit of an advantage that teams might be, I don't want to say overlooking them, but they'd be the underdog in a lot of these series? Um, yeah, I think so. I think more than Pete DeBoer, I think this group of players, there is something about the Golden Knights' makeup, and it's been this way for, for five years, and they've, they've changed a lot of players, but it feels like the makeup of this team, they just play better when their backs are against the wall, when they're being counted out. Last year in the play, I mean, if you look at the last two seasons, they're, they're, the team that knocked them out of the playoffs, it was a team in Dallas and a team in Montreal that most people gave absolutely no shot entering those series, and, and they ended up beating the Golden Knights. They just don't play as well when they're heavy favorites. Even Vancouver last in, in the bubble year, they struggled with that team that they should have handled. And then you look at an avalanche series where Pete DeBoer saying maybe we shouldn't have even showed up to Colorado. They were the underdogs. No one was picking Vegas to win that series. Colorado was the favorite to win the Cup, and they went out there and beat them four games in a row and handled them a lot easier than anyone expected. So, yeah, I agree. I think for Pete and I think for this group of players, for whatever reason, they seem to play their best hockey when people don't believe in them rather than when they're the prohibitive favorites. Jesse Granger with The Athletic joining us here as we chat about Mark Stone being activated off of LTIR, as we chat about a, in, an important three-game road trip to Western Canada for the Vegas Golden Knights in their quest for making the playoffs. Now, Jesse, I, I think there's something interesting in what Chapman just said, his question to you, about playing well down the stretch. My, my main question is this. The Golden Knights, they've won six of their last seven games. Now, you look at, you factor in the opponents, Seattle twice. you got Vancouver in there, Arizona for sure. But my question to you is, 
over the course of the last seven games, the Golden Knights have picked up 12 out of 14 points. Do you feel like they are playing well, or are they getting results any way necessary, and that's really kind of where it's at? Do you think from a process standpoint the Golden Knights are playing their best hockey this year? Yeah, I'll be completely honest. I don't know. Um, we, were, we were kind of having this conversation at practice amongst a few of the media members the other day that because the schedule has been so soft lately, um, it's honestly impossible to know if the Golden Knights are. And, and I think this trip will answer that. I think yeah. this Vancouver team has played much better as of late. They're desperate. This is a big game. If they play well in this one and then they play well against two teams that are in playoff position and, like you said, are the most likely playoff opponents if they were to make it this stretch this three-game stretch will really tell us whether or not this seven and eight or six and seven uh stretch is a mirage or not because to be completely honest it it absolutely could be a mirage um these teams that they played seattle and chicago and arizona are awful hockey teams with very little to play for other than individual contracts and stuff like that so it's like this team should be beating those teams. Um, they have looked good. The defense has looked much better. I think Robin Leonard has every game looked a little more confident, a little more comfortable in net, a little more like himself. Um, those are all good signs. Jack Eichel's offense is really clicking right now. Jonathan Marshall so has been has been performing. So there, there are good signs. But like I said, I, I'm I'd be lying if I said I'm confident that this team has like turned a corner and is suddenly good just because of the competition uh, has just been so bad that it could very easily be the opponents. So the other thing that I want to bring up here when we're talking about process, and, and the only reason I'm bringing up process, Jesse, is because I said um, with about eh, probably about 20 games left in the regular season that I was throwing the process out the window, and that was something that um, I've been, it had been harped on all season long, and I just got to a point where I couldn't talk about it anymore. However, um, I just want to add nuance to it. From a process perspective, the power play is not good. It has not been good. It has not been bailing out the Golden Knights during this stretch where they really, really need their power play to start clicking. So in your estimation, what do the Golden Knights have to do to start putting in some power play goals? And I'm not asking for a lot here. I'm asking for like four, maybe over the course of the final nine games that help you win and get into the playoffs. That's what I'm looking for. How do you get it? Yeah, I mean, I think, so I was mentioning earlier how stoked I am to see Stones, Stone and Eichel on the power play together because I think they're, they're, the style of hockey those two play just feels like it's going to mesh well. We'll see if it actually does on the ice. It's, these things aren't easy to predict. Sometimes you throw three random guys together, William Carlson, Riley Smith, and Jonathan Marcheseau, and then they're aligned for the next five years. Um, it, it feels like those two are going to help the power play just by themselves right off the bat. Aside from that, I would just say I think this they, they just hold on to the puck too long. They, they, they pass the puck, and they, they kind of deke a few times and then passes the next guy. Deke a few times, passes the next guy. Whereas I watch power plays across the league every night, and it's tic-tac-toe, tic-tac-toe the whole way, getting the goalie moving, not letting him get set. You've got to get the goalie off balance. You've got to get the goalie guessing which way the puck's going to go, and that's how you score. If, you're, if you take too long in between passes, it allows the goalie to get into position and get set and predict the next pass, and he just is there. We talk a lot about, oh, the Golden Knights shot it into his chest. Everyone loves saying, oh, the, the shots are into his chest. <laughs> well, yeah, because the goalie's where he's supposed to be. 
most of the time when a goalie makes a save with his chest, it's because he did everything right and is exactly where he's supposed to be. You've got to make it harder for him to get to that spot. And to me, that is less time between passes. They're just, they need more successive passes quicker. And, and I think that adding Mark Stone along with Jack Eichel and Max Pacioretty, I think they can do it. You know, when, when a team makes the playoffs, a team makes a run in the playoffs, there are always guys on that team that maybe fans don't, don't look at as like a star player or guys who kind of fly under the radar. Yesterday, Pete DeBoer was really high and praised Ben Hutton. Did you just speak of the job that, that Ben Hutton has done this year? I mean, like Pete said, he, he, he still can't believe that the guy was sitting home on his couch because he's, he's an NHL player. But, you know, Ben Hutton, I think, is, has been kind of one of those guys who, who's kind of held the team together, especially through this rash of injuries. Yeah, for sure. Um, this, this team has, this front office has done a phenomenal job over the last five years of identifying gems and players that are being mis- underutilized or, or just not in the right system. Like you look at Chandler Stevenson, they didn't give up anything for him. He's been a stud. I think Ben Hutton, like Ryan Carpenter is another good example of that in the first couple of years. To me, Ben Hutton's just another one of those guys. They, they were they needed a body. They went out. They found the right fit. He's been a perfect match from a systematic standpoint and a personnel standpoint because he's the type of player that you need to put with a Shea Theodore or an Alex Petrangelo. And, and you don't normally want to be giving those big of minutes to a guy who didn't have an NHL contract um, well into the season. But Ben Hutton has, has taken advantage of it. He, like I said, I think he's a good stylistic fit, and he's worked his butt off. Um, it's cool to see. He's like – we talk to him all the time. He's such a nice guy. It's, it couldn't have happened to a better person. Really cool to see that he stepped up. And if this team does qualify for the playoffs, he's going to be needed in those playoffs. We, I mean, we've, we've watched playoff runs. These guys are going to be blocking shots. They're going to need more than six defensemen. Ben Hutton's absolutely going to be in there. So um, pretty cool for him. It's, it's, again, another story of this team finding a gem that was underutilized and, and bringing out their potential. Yeah, I'd make the same argument for Michael Amadio, right? Like you're talking about a waiver wire pickup when you just needed any NHL player that could that could work their way into your into your lineup because you were dealing with so many injuries, and yet Michael Amadio right now is playing second line minutes with the Misfits uh, and doing doing well. You need those kind of contributions. The Golden Knights front office has been able to identify players that just kind of fit, and that's really what's allowed them to be in this position. And that's that's the question I have for you. Like with the injuries, the Golden Knights have dealt with all season long and the the uh, the length of time mark stone's been out of the lineup that that max patch and riley smith all of those things I, like it, it sounds crazy to say but it's actually an, an accomplishment in and of itself that the golden knights with nine games left are still in a playoff race because there are a lot of other teams that if they had the same types of injuries and for the same length of time would not be in a position where they could still be going to the playoffs yeah, for sure. It's, it's a testament to some of these players that have stepped up in bigger, like Chandler Stevenson. I mean, we, prior to this year, we weren't 100% sure if he's actually good or if Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty just are, he's, are just feeding him points. He has clearly answered that question by showing he is a top six center without a question. It doesn't matter who you put him with. Um, he's stepped up big. Jonathan Marsh is so scoring more goals. And he scored in a very long time um, without his normal line mates for big parts of the season. Um, depth guys like Brett Howden stepping up. He's been way better than we expected. Um, the goalies, I know the goaltending stats have not been great this year, but Logan yeah. Thompson and, and Robin Leonard and, and Lorembe Swat to a lesser extent, but those two deserve so much credit for holding this team in games that they probably didn't deserve to be in. 
so that those players I just mentioned could finally score in the in the closing minutes and, and get them some points that probably they didn't deserve. And, and I think Pete DeBoer deserves a lot of credit for it. I mean, he is not a guy you hear mentioned in the Jack Adams conversation. I don't necessarily know if he belongs in the final three, but I think he should absolutely be in the conversation. I mean, this is probably... If you ask Pete DeBoer and he asked and he answered honestly, this is probably the toughest coaching job he's ever had to do in his entire career in the NHL. So, I think there are a lot of there's a lot of credit to go around um, for them to be in this position where they're at. And now that they're healthy, there there aren't very many excuses to uh, not get it done here down the stretch, tied with LA. Jesse Granger with the Athletic joining us here. Jesse, I want to open it up real quickly to some. National Hockey League questions, not so much specific to the Vegas Golden Knights. So I want to start here. Austin Matthews, 51 goals in his last 50 games played. Is that a big deal, or are you like those uh, those that say, well, it didn't happen in the first 50 games for the Toronto Maple Leafs, so I don't care. It's not an accomplishment. Yeah, I really don't care when it happens, <laughs> especially in, in today's NHL where it's so much harder to score than it was when guys were doing that prior. I mean, um, I was looking at a stat the other day that showed like point-per-game players, let alone goal-per-game, point-per-game players. And a couple years ago, it was only like eight in the whole league. And now this year, it's up to 42, and guys are scoring at a much higher rate. At least it's the elite guys are. And I think Austin Matthews is leading that way. He, what he's doing is so impressive. His shot is incredible. To me, it's his creativity. He, it's, and it's, when I say creativity, this isn't Trevor Zegers doing like moves that no one's ever seen or, or crazy acrobatic goals. It's just it's subtle moves when he gets around the net, when he gets around the goalie. He's so good at fooling the goalie and then using his pinpoint shot to score. He is a treat to watch. He, it's incredible what he's doing. Okay, uh, who's having the better season, Austin Matthews or Roman Yossi? Ooh, man, that's tough. I'll go Matthews just because I think what he's the hardest thing to do in hockey is scoring, and yeah. that's what Matthews is doing. So I'll, I'll go with him. But, um, what, but and, and I also think what Roman Yossi's done over the last couple months has been in, like if, if Yossi had been doing that for the whole season, yeah. he probably would take it. But, but Matthews has been doing this more consistently. Yossi was kind of, when I say average, it's for his standard, he was average up until just this last run where he's been unreal. So I'll, I'll give Matthews the edge. Okay, so Austin Matthews leads the league right now with 58 goals. You've got Leon Dreisaitl at 50, Chris Kreider at 49, Alex Ovechkin at 45, Connor McDavid and Kirill Kaprizov, and Kyle Connor at 42. That's a lot of guys that are flirting with 50 goals this year. We know goal scoring is up, not just on the power play, but at five on five. Why? So it's, it's funny, I actually had this conversation with Sean McIndoo, Down Goes Brown, on our athletic podcast, and he gave a great answer, and, and I think I tend to, to lean in this direction also. So if you look at the, uh, the number of goalies that have played a game in this NHL season, it's about 40 more than in a normal 82-game season, which tells you there have been more injuries and there have been more third and fourth goalies, guys that don't belong in the NHL but are there because of injuries that have been called up, and they've only played a couple games. And I think that is a, an, expl- an explanation why goal scoring is up higher. I think the star goalies, like Hellebuck's maybe having a little bit of a down year. Carey Price didn't play a game. There are some, I mean, the reigning Vezina Trophy winner, Marc-Andre Fleury, his stats aren't where they were a year ago. I think the injuries to goalies and the inconsistency in net has led to a lot more scoring league-wide, and I think – a lot, a lot of these goals are being scored on guys that probably didn't expect to get goals scored on them in the NHL this year. 
Okay, last one that I have, and then I'm going to give it. Uh, Chris, I'm going to give it to Chris Chapman for the final question. Uh, who is on your heart ballot right now? Oh, um, it's. I'll tell you, Austin Matthews is is my leader at the moment. Okay. Um, right. The other two, I, it's, I mean, I, I'd probably say Shesterkin and McDavid would be my other two. I, I'm not as cemented on those as I am on Matthews at the top right now, but um, the last few weeks of the season are going to judge it. But, yeah, I would say <laughs> Matthews, McDavid, and Shesterkin are on there right now. Okay, follow-up, and then I promise I'm going to give it to Chapman. Um, where is Jonathan Huberdeau in, in your list of heart <laughs> trophies? <laughs> Yeah, you're really trying to get me in trouble here. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not. What are you talking about? I'm just asking you a question, Jesse. Yeah, I, he's not on my top three for sure. Is he top five? Possibly. I think he's somewhere between like four and seven. Um, I think he. <laughs> I think he's been a really good player this year, but he's not on the level of of, of McDavid and Matthews and and what Shesterkin's doing in New York is just ridiculous. Well, I don't know. I don't know there how I go. follow that up. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on! Come on! You, 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 you just kind of walked them out there. I mean, we know you don't like Hoobie Doobie, but uh... Uh, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with what, whether or not I like Jonathan Uberdo. I think he's a fine player. The problem is he's not the best player in the league or the most valuable player even on his team, and that's what the that's what the Hart Trophy is given out for. That's all. That's all, all I'm right. saying. All right, I, w- I want to go back to the to the Golden Knights real quick before we let you go, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Nine oh, games to go. And, and we, we may talk to you before the nine games are up, but does this team make the playoffs? So I've been saying over the past couple of weeks, no to this answer. But that was before Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone got activated and Drew Doughty got ruled out for the season. I think the Kings have been struggling lately. I think things are trending in the wrong direction for them. I think things could not be trending better for the Golden Knights from both on ice and a health perspective. So I am going to kind of change my my tune here. I've been saying no, but I I think yes. At this point, I think the Golden Knights do make the playoffs. Well, Jesse, thank you. Honestly, buddy, for, for taking as much time as you did as you're getting ready for this game, Vegas and Vancouver. Uh, what are you working on? Where can people find your stuff? Yeah, working on a bunch. Obviously, this playoff run, we haven't covered one of these yet in five years. Uh, this team, <laughs> Most of these games are pointless at this point uh, for the first four years, so it's fun to cover regular season games that are do or die. It's a lot of fun. You can go to The Athletic, um, and you can subscribe for $5 right now, so head over there. $5? That's it? Yeah. Oh, man. Those specials at The Athletic. I, I'm <laughs> telling you, I, I got I to gotta get in on one of those. I, I've been a, a card-carrying member for a while now. Jesse, you do great work, fantastic stuff always. Thanks for jumping on here. Enjoy the game tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. That's Jesse Granger with The Athletic, incredibly generous with his time running the gamut. Uh, Chabin, I, I didn't walk him into anything. I, like, I don't know what that's about. That's ridiculous. I was just trying to get a handle on what the Hart Trophy outlook looks like from Jesse Granger's point of view. No, I, I, I understand, but but I, I know you've been on the Huberdeau does not belong in the discussion for the Hart Trophy for a few weeks. You're, you're not a big fan of secondary assists, and that's understandable. I, I, I'll be honest, though. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I think it's very hard to argue against the three guys that, that he named. Um, you know, and, and, and I tend to agree. I think Austin Matthews, and, and maybe it's an American bias, right? But I think Austin Matthews, I, I mean, I'm, 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 I can't argue against Austin Matthews not winning the Hart Trophy. I, I think it's very hard to do.
All right, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to chat a little bit about the Hart Trophy. We've also got the play of the day right here on the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. No chance to shoot for Stevenson. Centered, Eichel scores! It's time for the play of the day on the VGK Insider Show. Not many games to choose from. Just one in the NHL yesterday. The Winnipeg Jets, the Montreal Canadiens. Winnipeg winning 4-2, to keeping their slim playoff hopes alive. So, Chris Chapman, give us the play of the day. All right. Well, it comes from the lone game that took place yesterday, the Winnipeg Jets and the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, it involves a familiar name to Vegas Golden Knight fans, Paul Stasny, who scored the goal. However... The, the play to me was actually the, the, the assist by Morgan Barron, who actually scored his first goal, his first career NHL goal in that game. But he skates around, and I had to look up which one it was, if it was Rem or Tyler Pitlick, because there, there's two Pitlicks in the NHL, Rem and Tyler. And sure. ironically, both of them also play for the Canadians. However, Rem Pitlick was not uh, on the ice last night. It was Tyler who has his ankles broken by Morgan Barron on this Paul Stastny goal. Ehlers now trying to get away from Pitlick. He'll hand it off. Drop to the point. Sandberg works it over to Barron. Morgan Barron in front scores. Paul Stastny snaps it home. It's goals in back-to-back games for Stastny, and the Jets take the lead. And again, Barron with some nice work here. Delay, delay, delay. Comes back, and Stastny will just find that seam between defensive forward. You see Suzuki frustrated big time with that. As Barron finds him right in between defense and forwards and finds Stasty and Stasty lets it rip. Stasty actually got his first NHL goal in Montreal and he gets one here. So the the play from Morgan Barron's fantastic. He gets the he gets Pitlick to just overcommit and then he loses an edge. But Paul Stasny, it, it's a classic Stasny goal. He just kind of floats into that no man out of coverage and just rips it home. Uh, you know what? Fortunately, there was a good play in that game. Right, like because when <laughs> yeah. the NHL only has one game on, it becomes a little bit uh, slim pickings. But great call by you, Chapman. Uh, an absolutely wonderful play of the day. When we come back, we've got the Sam and Ash legal minute right here on the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. It's time for the legal minute with Sam and Ash on the VGK Insider Show. Legal minute. It's Tuesday for. 45. You know what that means. It's time for the Sam and Ash Law Legal Minute here with the VGK Insider Show. We're joined right now by Sam. Hey, Sam, what's going on in the world of Sam and Ash Law? <laughs> Ryan, we're doing well. We're we're kicking butt, taking names. Uh, got a lot of got a lot of uh, of worthy fights out there, and just enjoying what we do. So today's topic is an interesting one, and it's one that that I'm particularly curious about as a parent of of children that are going to be playing youth sports so uh, as as we get into this one there there was an umpire in mississippi her name's christy moore uh, she was filling in during a round of games for 12 year olds and at one point during the game a mother uh, was asked to leave by one of the coaches because of profanity she did not leave she just hung out in the parking lot waiting and after the game was over punched christy in the face so my first question is like if if you were christy moore and she called you up and and said what should i do in this situation what's your advice there well now that everything's over and done i mean this is this is 
there's a there's a case here, of course. I, I my comment on this number one is that I the only job I ever failed at mm-hmm. was being an ump. Uh, <laughs> I was called in to do a youth league ump, and I lasted about two innings, and it was I, I didn't really know what I was doing. And parents were they weren't angry. I thought they were going to rush the field. Yeah, and it's so. So, and I, I have kids in youth sports, and it's the kids are fine. It's the parents, and it's never appropriate, obviously, to get physical. Number one, it, it's you know potentially criminal, and certainly you face civil uh, liability. Mm-hmm. But number number two, you're modeling terrible behavior for kids. Like, what are you What are you showing your kids that you're supposed to be doing? So, I think the I I might I I feel terrible for the for the op here, and and I think. And I think that that very you know this certainly um, along with the criminal charges there there certainly could be um, you know could be a civil case. Now we've we've kind of talked about this before, but it, venues right like there's there's got to be some onus on the venue where wherever this this little league game took place where there there's got to be some reasonable expectation for some security or, or maybe I'm I'm misreading that like. Is it just if it's a civil case? Is it just against uh, the the person that committed the act, or uh, could you be looking at something for the venue where where this all took place? Right, you know that's a great question. A lot of times, we always look at that. Right, whenever there's an assault case, whenever there's any kind of injury that that happens on a premises somewhere, you know, what was there a dangerous condition on that premises? The lack of security uh, that 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 precipitated this. One thing that is important to note: a lot of these games are on government-owned, city-owned property, and you know sometimes cities do enjoy immunities, do enjoy protections from these kind of suits. Uh, so that's one problem. But but look, if there's a history of of parents that are out of control and that are making threatening, using threatening language, um, what I you know what I think that you need to you know people need to remember is yeah in those kind of cases. Um, and if, if they haven't brought in security or don't have police patrolling them, then potentially there's a case. Now, Sam, I, I know there's a bunch of states that have laws on the books that protect youth sports umpires from assault. I'm not sure if Nevada is one of them, but actually, you know, as I look, it, it looks like it is. But are we going to get to a point where maybe we have something uniform at a federal level or are we going to keep this up to each state to police individually? Yeah, the, uh, we do have some laws here on the books uh, in Nevada. Uh, so, and t- one and two, it's not. This is an ex- this is exactly the kind of law that needs to stay at a state level uh, because it doesn't affect anything anything you know nationally. Really, uh, I mean, I, I, you can always have a federal law in place. What it just does is it allows the federal government to prosecute somebody on top of the state government. I don't necessarily know that that's or think that that's the. The answer here, because then you put the U.S. Attorney's Office, you know, who are prosecuting, you know, lots of other crimes, anything from child pornography to, you know, to bank robberies to, uh, you know, to, to drug trafficking cases. You're, you're putting, you're giving, you're taking away their attention and having them, you know, potentially having to prosecute these kind of basically what are assault cases. So th- those need to be dealt with on the state level, on the county level. I think the appropriate thing is to have is to have states. You know, put in protections and, and, and then, of course, enforce, right? Enforce the laws that are on the books because even if you don't put in special rules, you, every state has, has assault and battery. 
uh, as a crime. And, and so it's a matter of enforcement and making sure that local district attorneys do file charges and do prosecute them. You, you know, the, the note on enforcement is interesting because, you know, when it comes to, to say, Little League or, or really any youth sports uh, league, you, you hear about zero tolerance policies when it comes to uh, abusive language or, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, it feels like there's still some leniency there. There's still some sometimes parents get heated and it gets uh, goes, uh, you know, beyond the scope of what you should be doing from a decency standpoint. Like how much of this has to change in that regard where zero tolerance really does mean zero tolerance before it gets to physical violence? Well, I think that's a great point. And I, I think it, it, if you want, if, look, if you want a certain type of standard of behavior, you need to, you, you need to enforce what rules are in place, whether it's, you know, whether it's league rules, meaning, hey, if a certain parent is, 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 has, has been, you know, warned once or twice or whatever it is, and they need to be ejected and then banned from, from those events. Because it's more likely it's, it, you know, you do, it doesn't start with the punch. And that's what happened in the story, right? Bringing it back to this particular event right. of what happened in Mississippi. So there was, there was prior bad behavior. And we're seeing the same thing happen in transpiring cities, right? Where you have, we have, you have low level crime that isn't enforced, you know, whether it's, you know, some you know, shoplifting and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and when you don't enforce the lower level crime, bigger level crime, higher level crime, the big stuff, you know, assault, rape, murder, that kind of thing, those numbers follow and they, well, they increase. And, they, and, and, and so I'm a big proponent of enforcing, especially here on the field, and, you know, and I, I love sports. I think it's a great place for kids to learn life lessons. You know, not every kid's going to become a pro athlete, but they're all going to walk away with life lessons. And I think it's very important to model good behavior for kids out on the field uh, and it starts with parents, and it starts with parents behaving well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's why this one was was a story that that really resonated with me. Because as as you kind of, you know, as I'm kind of at that stage of my life where this is going to be my reality in 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 taking kids to and from uh, different different games, different practices, all that stuff. Uh, putting the onus on on the parents to act like grown-ups, I think, is the most important thing that anyone could ever ask for when it comes to youth sports, and not not making that what should be a safe environment for children to learn and grow and develop, uh, turning that into something that's toxic, and, and that's that's incredibly important to kind of get that message out. Uh, it, it, I couldn't agree more, and I think that's absolutely absolutely right. So, Sam, not to, not to segue too hard here, but uh, the Golden Knights, we, we know there's nine games left. Uh, your, your opinion, are, are the Golden Knights getting into the playoffs, Sam? I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it so strong, and I, I, love, I love this turn that's yeah. happened, this shift. And it's palpable. It's obviously evidence in the numbers and the results, but there's, you're, I'm seeing a team that is just fighting. It's, it's, it's fighting to win. And, and, you know, a lot of this is momentum based, you know, yep. where, where you're headed and how. And, and, it's, and I, what I love about the story, Ryan, is I love that you can never count someone out who wants to come back uh, and go for the win. So I, I'm, I, think, I think it's possible and I'm, I'm, you know, I got my, all my fingers and toes crossed. And we know the Henderson Silver Knights are headed to the playoffs. What, what do you guys have planned for the Dollar Loan Center and, and really kind of that push for Henderson? 
Yeah, uh, yeah. So, by the way, uh, I it's the facility is beautiful for yeah. anyone who has not been to Dollar Loan Center. Go, go, go! It is a tremendous experience. It's you know, it's I think it's better than T-Mobile, but that's my opinion. I just <laughs> love that it's it's a, a more intimate experience, right? It's about one third of the people, so you're not it's not as many people. There's no bad seats. You literally cannot get a bad seat. Every you know, general admission tickets basically are all lower bowl seats. All have great views. Uh, I think the all the amenities are really nice. It's just a, it's a terrific experience. So even if it's a little bit of a drive, go out there, please check it out. Go see a, go see a Silver Knights game. Uh, there's tremendous atmosphere in the building, and and it's just a, it's a big it's a, it's something you have to do. There are lawyers. They should be your lawyers, too. 702-820-1234. That's the number for Sam and Ash. Or you can go to samandashlaw.com because you deserve what's right. Hey, Sam, thanks for jumping on here, and we'll chat with you next week. You bet. And we got Darren in our thoughts, too. Both Ash and I were thinking of him and wishing him a speedy recovery. Yeah, we will pass that along. Thanks so much, Sam. That's the Legal Minute with Sam and Ash on the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. In the Legal Minute with Sam and Ash on the VGK Insider Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash. Visit them at samandash.com because you deserve what's right.